Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's sake. My name's Pete Selby, and I am not in the same location as Rob Hayes, uh, but it's worked quite well over the last couple of episodes. So we're going to try again and uh, say hello to Rob. Hello, Rob. Technology is absolutely wonderful these days, isn't it, Pete? So we can actually talk to each other and record it and put it together so people can listen to it without actually having to set eyes on each other. Now, it's nothing personal against you. I'm, I've gone back to university whilst training in a full-time job, so my, my time to get to and from for Fox Ake HQ these days is, is fairly limited, but we still want to bring as many podcasts as we can to our great listenership, so technology is 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 helping us do that. That's true. Uh, so are you so you gone to university again obviously for what you just said. But um so does that mean that you're staying at university? No, I'm um I'm at home, but oh. I go I go to university for a couple of weeks, then I'm in school for a few weeks, uh then I'm back at university, blah blah. blah. To, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit too old to be on a university campus anyway. I walk around during the day, looking around, going, my goodness me, you are an entire decade younger than me. Please help. So if I had to live there, I don't think I could put up with it. Oh, I'd, I'd come and visit. It'd be great. It'd be fantastic. So yeah, it would out. nothing, nothing good would come of you visiting <laughs> if I lived at university. No, nothing good. It would be, it would be exceptional. It would be a, a great way uh, to do the podcast, actually. So, but, but we, we should get together actually and do the podcast uh, actually in the same room in the next few weeks, or probably, hopefully, after the next game away at Arsenal. But we've got plenty to uh, to cover. Um, now it's been a while, and we've got a few games to cover. First of all, we'll just mention very loosely, really, the game at Newcastle. Because Newcastle were very poor, it was a two-nil victory, a penalty for handball, a goal from Maguire. Really, the perfect away performance, perfect score. But they're not exactly the greatest side in the world, Newcastle. And it all in the world of football nowadays, it's all about the next game or what's just happened, basically. So even though that's happened, it, it doesn't really matter. It's not the forefront of people's minds because it's all about what's in the immediate and. Um, and I think we can just basically say it was a good performance. Yeah, job done. We said, let's go up there. Let's not make it too difficult for ourselves. Uh, two goals scored, no goals conceded, three points on the board. Happy days. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I've got a little bit of a cold. So if it does sound that way, then I do apologise. But um, after the Newcastle game, Everton at home was going to be difficult. Strange team, Everton. Very odd because um, they're pretty much fighting over the same place in the league that Leicester are. They are in that kind of group, along with maybe Wolves, um, one or two others maybe, who are looking to be the seventh best side. Uh, they spent a lot of money. We know the history between the two sides and the two clubs because of manager, oh, former managers and directors of football, etc. They've spent a lot of money. Um, and they came to the King Power, and after the game, I said it, that very similar sides. Um in terms of their formation, in terms of the way they play. 
and it was a very close game and they won through a fantastic goal obviously the red card made a lot a lot of difference in the game and and afterwards i was just disappointed disappointed that they haven't won it was disappointed that they played well especially in the first 20 minutes of the second half first half didn't really get into the game but they they were holding and got back into it after obviously the uh, the, the opening goal they didn't start very well and and it was it was just a it was an odd performance an odd game some good performances some poor performances some good decisions bad decisions it just kind of sums up Leicester at the moment 10th in the league this game in a nutshell really has summed up their season I think yeah I think so everything you've said there is is pretty accurate we are very similar teams uh, in that sometimes you don't actually know which team is going to turn up Everton on their day could beat pretty much any team in the league they've got the quality to do that but then again, so could we. But week on week, you don't know what team's going to turn up. And I think that's what's getting a bit frustrating for Leicester fans. And uh, an interesting club, an interesting club, club to honestly club about, honestly about that Leicester the, the struggling start to start games in team the right way. It's taking either games to concede a goal. It's taking them a little while to realise that they're in a game. Either taking Leicester scoring a goal to give them a goal themselves and then believing that they can score more and go on and win the game. It's taking Leicester the right mindset. They should be crossing that white line once or twice a week. Figure out. That with the mindset that they're going to be in a game of football on the top flight, the entirety now, of the ninety minutes, it is only you, ninety you minutes after once all, or twice a week to be chasing the game. Your job is to step early, over that line, listen to the always roar of makes supporters, it more difficult because and there's a get reason in the faces of your opposition there's right no from the very start. And his um, team just obviously it's haven't ju- been doing that. It's just frustrating to watch. And, and as you say, that game sums up the season because you go up to Newcastle, get a solid away victory, and then you come home to Everton and. Yeah, okay, the Morgan sending off, which I'm sure we'll talk about right. in a bit more detail in Hang a minute, uh, and the Sigurdsson wonder yeah, strike were the, were the main differences. But I'll start from that's club then played right. eight, it's one four, lost four. Every time you think you're taking a step forward, uh, for whatever reason, it seems like then it stands still again. It Four wins and four losses is as 50-50 as it gets for a start to the season. Yeah, it is, and, and being 10th in the league would obviously... Is the reason because of obviously winning four and losing four. It was it was it was strange though because they started very very slowly and um, and they scored early doors. Did Everton as we know, and and Richarlison first of all he's he's a lot taller and broader than I thought. <laughs> when I saw him warming up, who's this guy, Richarlison? I was like, he's not the kind of like small little winger, you know, in the same kind of ilk as possibly like a. a Theo Walcott, who was playing as well, I thought they would be very similar sized players, but no, they weren't. And really impressed with Richardson. We know he started well this season and he's been scoring goals, but to see him in the flesh, a ready-made forward for the Premier League, um, very impressive. And early on, he outmuscled a few people and he'd beaten a few people. And he thought, hang on, they're really in for a, a, a torrid time at the back. Um, and then Bernard, who's making one of his first starts um, for Everton, who's been injured. And we know he's a tricky winger and he's made our players on the right, Armati and Pereira, look a bit silly. But he's a good player and he gets beyond them and they open the scoring. And Leicester were just very slow. And, and there's been a lot of stories surrounding the starts for Leicester and literally what they do from kickoff. Do they go back and then keep the ball or do they pump it long, try and get Vardy in and get territorial possession inside the opposition half. Strange that the conversation is surrounding the actual kickoff itself, but 
there is a problem with the start at Leicester and because they want to keep the ball when they do so they don't have the tempo the tempo comes from a fast Vardy break or the crowd or maybe a tackle flying in at the start of the second half Leicester started very well and played well for 20 minutes and there was a there was an impetus at the start of the second half that wasn't there at the start of the first half they hit the channels more in the first five minutes than they did in the entirety of the first 45 for, for Vardy to give chase, which he will do. He doesn't mind doing that. And if that brings out about possession or a chance, then that's fine. Yes, it isn't the silky football that uh, we're trying to produce, but never mind, sometimes it works. Anyway, we get back into the game with a, a fantastic goal. A goal made by Pereira, scored by Pereira. Good play by Mendy on the floor, who I thought had a tremendous game, Mendy. It had been my man of the match, which I think he's been given an awful lot of time since he's been back in the side. He was on the floor and he managed to play the ball back for Pereira and then played a lovely one-two with Iniacho, who I thought was poor overall, Iniacho, but more on him maybe in a bit. And and then he finished it off. I don't think the goalkeeper would cover himself in a lot of glory, uh, Pickford, in this game, maybe in the next couple for England, but... Um, it was a fantastic goal and it just shows you what Pereira can do. It's strange that he was on the left-hand side rather than what he was operating on the right. And um, and Leicester got back into the game and it was 1-1 at half-time and, and we looked the better side at the start of the second half. And then we had the incident with our beloved and legendary captain. Now, it was clever. I, I, I agree fully with what you said about Richarlison. You looked at the team sheet when um, when it was named about about two o'clock and you saw Tosun and Calvert-Lewin both on the bench and you thought, hang on, those are Everton's only two recognised strikers. What's going on here? And Richarlison was, was I, I mean, you can call it what you like. It was a bit of a false nine kind of thing. He's not what you would consider an out-and-out striker. But the fact is, he was popping up everywhere and he had those additional attributes that you said, Pete, alongside the fact that he is ultimately a pacey and tricky winger. And um, just picking up on what Hazik Patel said, who's one of our listeners, uh, and we'll get into the three-word reviews, I'm sure, at some point uh, later on. That is your remit, Pete. I'm not jumping in here. But he did say um, that uh, Wes targeted again was one of his offers offerings as a, as a three-word review. Uh, and I, uh, we had a bit of a conversation on Twitter and I was asking him, did he mean that Wes was being targeted by supporters as the reason for us losing and perhaps covering other things up? Uh, and he said, no, he was targeted by the opposition in terms of exposing the lack of pace that he had. Because if you put Tosson up front or, or Calvert-Lewin, because they play as central strikers, Wes Morgan, who is... God love him, Premier League lifting captain, whatever. But before he came to Leicester, was a championship defender. A, a striker at the spearhead of an attack that's got some physicality about them and that plays through the middle. You would back Wes Morgan against someone like that more than you would back him against uh, a trickier, pacier Brazilian who was popping up every... He was dragging Wes Morgan so far out of his different comfort zones and... Wes didn't get booked for any particular tackle in, in uh, for any t- tackle in particular. It was one after the other after the other because he was just so exposed for pace uh, wherever on the pitch that he was dragged by Richarlison. Um, we've spoken about Wes Morgan a couple of times on this podcast, Pete. It's two red cards now. His red card was one of the contributing factors factors to the defeat last weekend. 
Puel very early in the season made it clear that he wouldn't be afraid to try somebody else in that position. Now, I think if Johnny Evans had put in the performance that people were expecting of an international former Manchester United defender when he had his first chance, when Wes was first, I put in inverted commas, dropped at the very beginning of the season, do you think that Evans would have kept his place and therefore do you think we would be on five, maybe six wins rather than four this season? Or is it unfair to be pinning so much on one man? Is it is it just unfortunate that he's picked up two red cards early on this season? I think a little bit of both. You've got to remember that Evans had that shocker at home on his on his first start. He was he was absolutely all over the place and he also made Maguire all over the place. We are doing this. We are doing the Morgan conversation. The conversation that's happening in the stands, in the pubs, everywhere, at work. We will do this. I'll just name a, a couple more on the uh, three-word reviews. Standard slow start, shot own foot, uh, Stu Tisdale and Sam there. Stunning winning goal by Simon. Um, goodbye, Wes. Thanks, Paul Keller. So, l- roughly what we've just been talking about. Wes Morgan. Now... The first one, he, he had his hands around one, taken for the team, hands around um, Richardson. He had to do it. He was beaten for pace, beaten for skill. He's a centre half. He's going to be. He's going. That's going to happen from one of the best wingers in the league. Um, but after that, he got away with one when a player went into not into the crowd, but onto the the blue surface outside of the playing area, and it was only a little nudge. A lot of Everton players were trying to get him sent off. They were jumping on the floor. They were saying to the referee, there were shouts from the bench. Everything that you would expect a team to try and get Leicester down to 10 men was happening. Um, And it was almost like he was given one last chance. Now, first of all, the tackle for the actual yellow card, which made it two for a red. um, In my my eyes, never in a million years is it a, a yellow card. He's jumped on the ground. But then again, he would have, anyone would have done that. So, that just happened. It's a red card. He's been sent off. For me, it's 50-50. 50-50 in terms of Wes shouldn't have been near the player, okay? Because he, he did kind of half stand on his foot, but he shouldn't have been near him. And he shouldn't have been near him because of the other 50. And the other 50 for me is Claude Puel. What is Wes Morgan doing on the field? He should have been replaced. Now, everyone knows that Wes in the ground, everyone knows that he had about half an hour left on that field where he could not foul one more time because it would have been a, a red card. doesn't matter what kind of foul, it would have been a red card. Take him off. You've got Johnny Evans sat there on the bench. Bring Wes off and go, look, we're just saving you because we're on top. We don't want to go down to 10 men. Evans comes on. Nothing changes. Carry on with the game. That should have happened. It didn't. And so for me, it's 50-50. Has, is Wes Morgan going to get done for pace? Yes. Is he going to get caught out by two players, and I'll, I'll, I'll put two up there because you've got Walcott one side, and I thought Sigurdsson was playing kind of as a false nine, and he was dragging going out wide as well, dragging the, the, the defenders out. That was their, their remit. Get the two centre-halves, who aren't the fastest, out wide, and then you can expose them, and they did that. They did it a lot better than Leicester did. They managed to get players out wide and further up the field on the edge of the penalty areas, which Leicester did not do. And it's just going to happen with Morgan. He's a fantastic defender. We know that. He's still, in my eyes, uh, a, a Premier League defender. I think he'd work better in a three. I think then you've got more cover. Look at the experience and look at the 
Look at the pace of Leicester defenders in the 90s when we played three at the back. When you play three at the back, one can drop off and it means that they can't, they shouldn't really be exposed for pace because you would have one covering, okay? And that for me is, is one thing that we should really be looking at now. Also, it means that if you've got a Turkish guy who can't speak English, who hasn't started yet for Leicester, playing him in a back three would be a lot easier than him coming into a back two alongside Harry Maguire, for example. But, I think it's 50-50. Again, he's going to get a lot of abuse, whereas for people, again, what's the point? What 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 is the point? What what do you want? What, are you Do you want him to be dropped? Great. But are you going to openly shout that during the game, or are you going to boo the player or whatever during the game? No. It's got absolutely nothing to do with Wes. It's not his fault. It's not his fault he's, he's what, 35, 34, and slowing down and being caught out a few times just through... The, the physical pace, you know, it's not his fault he's going to win a 100-meter race. But for me, this shows, and we and you mentioned it before, and you mentioned it about five minutes ago, Puel has got history with dropping players. He can drop player for one reason or another. If they didn't have a good game, you're out. For me now, it's got beyond the point where he can keep Wes Morgan in that side, in a back two. As a centre-half partnership for me, He's going to get completely exposed because they're going to really pinpoint Leicester and him. If you were a manager of a Premier League side and you're going to go to the King Power Stadium, you're going to look at the video of Everton and go, look what they did. Look how they managed to drag Wes out wide just through the natural play and playing players in certain positions or maybe slightly changing the formation. That's the way to get at Leicester. And it's not going to change. So for me, he either needs to be replaced in the starting lineup or I would prefer them to go three at the back which I think would also help Maguire when you said um it's Powell's fault because he should have been replaced I thought genuinely for a second that you were being that flippant about the fact that Wes Morgan should have been replaced in the summer transfer window I know you didn't mean that and I know that's and that's not necessarily what you think I was just quite shocked because we have talked about Wes Morgan before and you've never said anything that outrageous but uh, uh, let's just clear that up that's not what you meant but uh, no just, the thing is the just thing when is you're though, talking Rob, about the, the thing yeah, is though all, all this happened right in front of the dugout the the incident with the player who went off the field whoever it was um on his arse and there was a conversation between the referee and Wes Morgan outside the dugout and then obviously the tackle which led to him being sent off was out a lot of the play was in that area so you've got to react a lot of people say that uh, Claude Puel um, doesn't doesn't react oh isn't proactive sorry He, he will react to things that have happened so he gets sent off so change the formation bring players on whatever because something's happened he's not proactive okay um when uh Jose Mourinho subbed a couple of players or subbed a centre-half when they were 2-0 down at home against Newcastle, I was driving back and on the radio they were calling Mourinho saying, oh look, he's he's, he's taken off the centre-half for, for one matter, uh, what's he going to think, this, that and the other. And I'm there shaking my head going, and I am literally, the I am not a fan of Mourinho at all. But I'm there going, he's making a change, he's doing something after half an hour, it's not working, you're 2-0 down at home you know be proactive and he and that's what it should have happened with Wes it, it should have happened and maybe and who knows maybe Evans was literally seconds away from coming on maybe he was just about to take off his jumper to to get on the field and if that happens okay but it, for me 
it's 50-50. Is the blame with Wes? Yes. But for me, it has to be with the manager as well, in equal measures. Do you think it's blind faith from Claude Puel in the sense that he's the club captain, he knew what kind of outcry he got when he dropped him for one game towards the start of the season. He knows the character that Wes Morgan brings to the dressing room, to the pitch, uh, the way that he embodies what the the club is about, despite being Forrest through and through, which is which I still find quite funny and doesn't get mentioned very much these days, but we won't talk about that today. Um, or is it simply the fact that Johnny Evans isn't as good as we thought he was? Um, because ultimately, somebody's got to fill that gap now that Wes Morgan is vacated for for his suspension. Is there a chance now? for Evans to stamp his authority on that place and make it impossible for Puel to put Morgan back in the team? Or, as soon as Morgan's suspension is up, does Puel go, here's the skipper's armband back, Wes, in your pop, crack on? I think now would be the point of whoever's playing well plays. I don't think for one minute, because he's the club captain, that he gets the automatic start. Um, he, he should be in there because of his performances. Look at the game against Newcastle, who was fantastic. He's still a tremendously good Leicester City centre-half. Ignore the fact that he's a captain. I think all the Forest stuff's got absolutely nothing to do with anything at all and shouldn't be in the conversation, really, um, because he's lifted the Premier League trophy at Leicester. He's been there so long, he's lifted two leagues, job done. But, for me, he's still a top-class centre-half. Look at the blocks, the header, the organisation... He he's a tremendously good centre half. He works very well with Maguire, but if Evans comes in, maybe it could be Sichuanyu or whatever his name is. Then um, maybe he could be the centre half alongside Maguire. It's a big decision now for for Claude. The the team are tenth, and they're tenth because there are players in positions who are in and out of games. There's players in positions who are in and out of games because of their age and because of the fact that they've only been in the Premier League for six or seven games, the likes of, say, Madison, etc. I'll throw Pereira in, even though he's not that young, but also he, he's still getting to grips with the, the Premier League, etc. But there's also players in positions who are not possibly firing on all cylinders. I would put Vardy in that uh, bracket. I thought Vardy had possibly, for me, his worst game in about three years. Um, he, he was poor, I thought. Uh, I, I thought his, his runs in the first half were not there, but the chance he had one-on-one, it was a, a really poor miss, a really poor. Um, second half, there was a chance for him to pull the trigger, which he didn't. He ended up squaring across for Iniacho, um, who wasn't there alongside him. That will be a conversation in, in a minute. Um, I, I thought, I thought it, it was a poor performance from Vardy, but back to Morgan, if... It's Evans who comes into the side, plays well, Evans stays. Okay, captain goes to Schmeichel, not a problem. Morgan can then come in whenever, whenever, say, an injury happens or a poor performance, that's fine. For me, I think it's an opportunity to then play a three at the back. That's exactly what I'd do. Nice and easy, three at the back, Maguire in the centre. Either side, you've got Evans and Choyu, or even you could then play Morgan in the middle with Maguire on one side and Evans on the other side. You've got two wing-backs then. You've got two... Two sides which easily are filled by Chilwell on one side and you can have Ricardo on the other side. Nice and easy, two fullbacks, uh, two wingbacks, two in the middle, nice and easy. Mendy and, and Didi, when you've got then Madison as a 10 behind, 
two centre forward, or just in front, sorry, behind two centre forwards who are Vardy and Iniacho. That way, Iniacho will be playing in his best position, which is up front. The reason he wasn't alongside Vardy when he crossed the ball into the area and he got dogs abuse from the stands because everyone wanted him there is because he's not playing as a centre forward. He's playing as one of the forward midfield. Okay, so maybe he was being back in a position that he's been told to. So he wasn't. Yes, he should have maybe made a, a, a lung busting run into the area to get onto it and show those those instincts of a centre forward. Yes, I do I do agree with that. But play him up front. In a three five two, that's exactly where he would be. And he would be in that area because he's a poacher. I don't think he's got very good control, okay? He's got good awareness. We've seen with the one two he played with Pereira for the goal. Okay? He's a good finisher and we, he can finish from all angles. Outside the area we've seen him and we've seen him poach goals, head the ball. For me, he needs to be in that box. Okay. I think it'll help Vardy as well, especially at home. It will help the defence. I can't see any problems with it. That's what I would do. Okay. But when it comes to Morgan, I've not got a problem with him playing. But I just feel that if he does play, especially in the back two now, people are going to target him all the time, especially after what happened on, on Saturday. I feel sorry for him because, you know, what what can he do? He's not going to put his hand up and go, oh, by the way, I'm not going to play for Leicester anymore. OK, so I think the crowd should be getting behind him and encourage him when he's there. And they do, especially away fans. But... I don't think the conversation should be against Wes. It should be encouraging him to play well. And in the background, we all have our own opinion on who should be starting. I think, to be perfectly honest, it, this is not going to be the end of Wes, but I think it might be in terms of a genuine first-team regular starter. That's what I was just going to say, just to, to finish off this conversation about Wes Morgan with my uh, my input. Whereas I think because of the fact that he is being exposed, he is being targeted and he isn't uh, age wise. Yeah, that, that that's that's it's just a natural occurrence. Players times at clubs have to come to an end. And I think if he stayed beyond this season, it would there would be a quite a heavy element of dragging it out. I, I wouldn't want him to get to the point where he's dropped unceremoniously or he's in the team but playing so badly that it taints memories of it. I know it won't because the memories, the positive and the happy memories with Wes Morgan as the captain of our club are uh, uh, insurpassable. They are pretty much as good as it's ever going to get for our club, let's be perfectly honest. But I'd hate it for it to taint it even a little bit. I think the club has been so good at, making progressive moves in the transfer market in every single position, buying well, buying young for the progress of the team. And if you take away all sentimental value from Wes Morgan, you would look at that position and you would say, we need a more mobile and and uh, and somebody who is, who is better with the ball than him if you looked at him as a statistic as one body on a on a field uh, alongside 10 others you would uh, I, well I would personally or I'm not saying I'm not telling anybody what to think but I personally think that for Leicester City to continue progressing and to make the 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 fully the full change in in playing style that we want to this has to be Wes Morgan's last season also from a sentimental point of view. Uh, just touching on your point about the formation, uh, 
Um, I think now Riyad Mahrez has gone, this gives us the best opportunity in recent history to drastically change our formation to that 3-5-2. Madison in recent weeks to allow for Iheanacho has been playing wide left. He's been drifting in naturally onto his right foot. He, it's going to happen. And it's been leaving Chilwell down that left-hand side, exposed from an attacking point of view because he's got nowhere to go. He's not got an outlet ball down the line. So they're just forcing him inside and he's not making any headway. That plus the fact that then Madison is inside and then there can be overloads uh, down our left-hand side. Madison plays better as a 10. Ianacho plays better as a striker. We haven't got any other wingers, for me, that should be shooing guaranteed starting 11 players like we had in the past with someone like Riyad Mahrez. So, and you've got the central midfield to sort it already. Chilwell will get up and down that left-hand side all day at left wing back. It's not like... Um, uh, Leicester of a couple of years ago where Christian Fuchs is there because he's a solid standard left back. He's not someone that you would push forward into that more expansive role. Ricardo, we still haven't fully worked out whether he's a right winger or a right back. So let's put him at right wing back because that's halfway between the two. And then, as you say, with your three centre backs, there's a bit more cover there if there is the risk of Wes Morgan getting exposed or it gives Soyuncu a chance to, to slot in a bit more easily than just being isolated in a two-man back uh, in a two-man defence, that ticks. That formation ticks all the boxes for me. It, it does. I mean, and, and, and again, I, I, I've been banging the drum for that formation for a while. Uh, just finally on Wes, for me, I, I, I kind of agree pretty much with what you said. I, for me, I would still have him in the, in, in the at the club, mainly because there's a lots of teams in the Premier League literally go from eleven downwards where Wes can play very well against away at Newcastle. No problem. I think I think if we go to away at Newcastle next season or the equivalent side, he will still be just as good. Okay, I still think there is room for Wes at the club, but I do agree with you on the other hand, which is if you are looking to progress, which the club are and the owners are, that is one position which you do look at in the side and go, that needs to improve. Okay, and it doesn't matter if if you take an objective point of view, someone who's maybe not a fan, and look at the club and go. And look at the first team and go right. That's the position. I I would have to agree. Okay, but I would still have him at the club because I still, if he wants to be there, because I still think there's 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 game time for him. But and 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 I agree with you, of course, on the formation. And and I've said a thousand times the reason that we haven't played three five two is because of Riyad Mahrez. There's no place for him in that side. Okay, he's not here now, so it's a perfect opportunity. It 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 would help Madison. It would help Iniacho. And for me, it would help all of the centre halves. It's quite funny when um, when you look at Leicester and 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 the quality they've got and and the side they've got and 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 the squad. You know, a real top quality squad. It just needs that fine tuning. And and for me, it needs players playing in their proper positions, and it needs them to be given the opportunity to then. You look at Maguire, and Maguire as well. It's quite funny actually with Maguire and Chilwell being two two of the, the the back four for England now, and we're talking about an unsettled back line for Leicester. You look at Maguire and the way he plays. Okay, he touches the ball an awful lot. Okay, we're playing from the back. Okay, we we have the ball. He's on the halfway line. He goes to the midfielder. They pass it back to him. He goes out wide. Goes down the line. Then it comes back. To, he is that guy mainly because obviously Wes is the other guy and he's not a playmaker. Okay. Harry Maguire touches the ball a lot. When he plays for England in a back three in the summer, he's got the ability to then go forward. Nice and easy, 
The two centre-halves then can then come across and we can have a back two. A midfielder can drop back in. We look at the two midfielders we've got. Easily they can do that. And if Maguire wants to come forward, he can. It would help him as well. I, I, I think it's an absolute no-brainer. But <clears throat> what do we know? You know, we, we are fans. Everyone would have a different uh, different point of view. People want four four two. People would go back to over-the-top balls for Vardy, etc. You know, he's our best player, so why not... Um, Play to his strengths. I I can I agree as well. There's there's plenty of points of view. If you just going back to the Everton game after the goal, it was all Everton. It made such a change. It probably shouldn't have. That's one thing I think that has been slightly overlooked as well. When Leicester, uh, when when Morgan was sent off, Leicester on top massively. I thought I thought they were. It was a good game, very good second half, good game overall really for a neutral. But second half Leicester were on top. Okay, they looked dangerous, and then. I, th- I thought they were going to go on and win. And then the sending off happens. Okay, it happened. But all of a sudden, it was uh, the inevitable happened. A fantastic goal by Sigurdsson, who looked like the £50 million player that he was bought for and who we were trying to buy, etc. He was brilliant on the day. But I don't understand how Leicester just completely switched off. There was a, num- a number of people were, were uh, upset with Madison being taken off. I-, I can't remember him touching the ball for about 10 minutes beforehand. Now, whether that's because of the formation or the, the system or maybe he should have done, but for me, I-, I had no problems at all with the substitutions. Again, maybe got a knock, but he wasn't in that game from the from the sending off at all. So it was, it was a substitution. There you go. I, I think... Some players, in eyes of fans, and this again, this is fine. This is this is what we 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 talk, we we speak our views. You know, if you don't agree with it, absolutely fine. Okay, shouting at the radio, shouting at the podcast, shouting in your car when you listen to it on the way to work, do it, and then you know, email in or or, or tweet in and, and tell us. That's absolutely fine. For me, I think there's an element of the King Power crowd that if Madison has, let's just say he has the worst game you've ever seen, and he gets subbed after an hour. They would still be upset, okay, because it's him. Do you know what I mean? You can't touch him. He's he's the golden child. No, for me, he's done very well since he started at Leicester, but he does come in and out of games an awful lot. And then it seems that in the last half an hour or so, uh, twenty minutes, he's been taken off a few times because he's kind of gone missing. Now that could be because he's not playing in the right position or whatever. But I've got no problems with him being taken off, especially in the game against Everton. No, I think you're absolutely right. There's no doubt whatsoever that he is a, a real talent and getting called up into the England squad injuries aside is, is an achievement for him that, and it and it highlights the start that he's made to Premier League life. But a couple of times he's looked over and indicated to the bench that he wants to be subbed after an hour, 70 minutes because he's blowing a little bit. So whether it's still him adjusting to the pace of the Premier League, whether it is a little bit of Puel identifying it for himself and deciding that Madison's gone missing a little bit, needs a bit of fresh, fresh impetus, whatever it is, nobody in that Leicester team is untouchable. Just because he's scored a couple of decent goals, he's shown some good touches and he has settled a lot quicker than I expected. I've been pleasantly surprised with Madison to be perfectly honest with you I didn't think we'd get this much out of him this soon but you still got to remember he's he's a a kid in relative terms to to the Premier League he's played I mean if he's played all eight games then that's the all the only games that he's ever played in the Premier League before it's a different intensity to to the championship um he'd have to work a lot harder for his space uh, for one thing um so if it so requires a change, then 
absolutely. Whatever you think of club world substitutions or whatever you think of his team selections, uh, I don't think anybody is untouchable on on that pitch, really, because otherwise you, you get back to the sort of time where where you have got a Riyad Mahrez who, despite how well or how not well he was playing, would always be found lingering by the touchline on Leicester's right-hand side, week in, week out. And the system couldn't change because of him, as we've just mentioned. We can't pin everything on the man that's wearing Leicester's number 10 shirt at the moment. Every Things have to go through all of our creative players and we have to be be able to rely on everybody. And and Clubwell knows how to manage young players. Let, let whatever you think about him, uh, whatever your opinion is at the moment, and it was probably different after the Everton game than it was after the Newcastle game. Some of you, um, you'd come away from New uh, from Newcastle away going, ah, oh, yeah, Powell in. You'd come away from Everton at home going, ah, oh, no, he's rubbish. Four wins, four losses, rubbish. Um, but he knows how to nurture young players. He knows how to recruit them. He knows how to turn a team of young players into a very stylish and competitive outfit. He's done it in previous jobs, so he knows how to manage them. So I don't think there's many better people to have at the helm when you've got Chilwell, who is now really staking a claim to be England's number one left-back, let's be honest. All right, he got in because of Rose and Shaw's injuries, but he's played really, really well. Uh, and part of that team that beat Spain away um, on Monday night. Uh, you've got Madison, you've got Gray, you know, you've got Ian Acho. Look how young he is. Pereira's only just turned 25 and is brand new to the Premier League as well. Amati's still young. Papi Mendy's the old man of the group because Wilfred and Didi's still in his early, very early 20s. This is a young team. Some of them are going to be on it. Some of them are not some of the time. So, Powell, I would say, knows how to manage these players, these kinds of players, because he's done it before. What? The, the one thing I'll say with, with Claude, and we don't really want to be you know all the time on about him, but I agree with a lot of what you said. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy for him to, to be the manager at Leicester at the moment. I think, actually, you can look at England, look at Leicester, and, and say that there's, very, there's a lot of similarities between the two sides. Very young, okay, and they're throwing in really good performances alongside mediocre performances, and there's not an awful lot of change in, in in personnel. If you know what I mean, you play away away in Croatia, you play away in Spain. Look at the contrast in the two performances. It's it's similar to Leicester, very similar um, in many ways. Um, the one thing I'll, I'll say, and, and the last thing on on Claude really, is I'm happy for him to be the manager, but I I, I still think he is slightly underperforming. Uh, rumours again in the press which I know a lot of people are just batted away because it's an easy story yes it is an easy story to write but again we mentioned about Morgan and about the owners looking forward look at the training ground news um, we'll move on to the training ground the, the news in the week that uh, the training ground has been given plenty of permission by I think it was eight votes to four in the local um, local vote local council the Child Borough Council etc um, so the the, the the new £100 million training ground is going to go ahead at the old Park Hill Golf Course at Seagrave. Fantastic news. Absolutely tremendous news. Um, they are serious, serious owners. And yes, they've got a classy manager in terms of he's, 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 uh, he's calm, he's polite, he's, he's a good look for the side. And also, he's playing a decent brand of football. So he ticks a lot of boxes. But 
There's also the box which is actually where are they in the league? Are they performing to the standards of the investment and the quality of the squad? And I would say they are slightly underperforming at the moment. Okay, I know it's early doors still and we're in the latter stages of the cup competition and we're only mid-table in the Premier League and it's early days. But for me, I still think that if a manager who the owners think is better and I've instantly put Rafa Benitez in that bracket because it's well known that the, the owners like him and I think an awful lot of supporters do, I do, and... Um, if he became available, I think that they would try and get, get get him. Even if it's in the middle of a season, even if Leicester are doing okay. I think he would be able to come into a side that are not in trouble and be able to progress. Okay, I think he would be good for the side and I think he would be good for a lot of the young players. Um, so yes, Puel is doing okay. But I would be still unsure of his future. And I mean immediate future. You've worded that in two different ways. I'd be interested uh, just to pull you up on that because I know people listening would. You've first of all said Puel was underperforming uh, and then later on in, in on the same point, you said that they are underperforming. Do we... Uh, we've talked... Uh, the, the last episode was pretty much hinged on the fact that we need to get behind our young players and understand that they're going to be... There are going to be inconsistencies. Um, do you think that the book stops here with... The manager, do do you think realistically anybody else would be able to come in to to the helm right now with that group of young players and get a higher level uh, of a, of performance and a higher level of consistency out of them, or is Claude Puel doing the best job at the moment he can with this group of players? Because I'm I mean I'm asking I'm asking it as a question rather than than delivering it as a statement because I'm genuinely not sure. I appreciate the fact that we've recruited young players uh, and and are also um, blooding a few long, young players in that have progressed in the last couple of years, Chilwell and Didi, etc. Um, and the fact that they the, the the fact that they are young means that they're not going to be able to go out there and churn out nine out of tens every week. When they do, when they click together, it is lovely to watch and it is a nigh on a impossible force to stop. But when it clicks together, is that because of Club Puel or is that because of the players at the time out there? And regardless of what he's doing, it's ultimately how they're going to be on the day. Can anybody else do better what Club Puel is doing at the moment? And and these are the question. These are the age old questions that owners of football clubs have been trying to solve for for decades, and that football fans have been talking about for decades. And and one side will have one opinion, and one side will have the other. Uh, some people are of the notion, the very drastic notion, that if a team's underperforming, it's the players' faults. Uh, but the only reason that they don't get shipped out is because it costs an awful lot more money to replace twenty five players than it does one manager. Um, it's it's just it is a real tipping point at the moment that is sometimes swaying a little bit towards everybody's coming together in the right direction sometimes swaying a little bit towards ah we're underperforming and is Claude Puel as every football manager in the entire world is an easy scapegoat I think the the answer is yes of course he's an easy scapegoat every manager is like you said but I will still say that I think he's slightly underperforming in terms of looking at the likes of Madison not playing 
in a, he's starting to play out wide slightly not getting the best out of Iniacho, having the problems at centre-half in terms of two new signings not being in the side. And also, you look at decisions as well, and a massive one is is that Wes Morgan for me, not taking him off, not being decisive. Um, these are, are things that go against Claude. There's an awful lot that goes for him as well. But what I'm saying is that, again, the owners have put a lot of money into this club where do they think that Leicester should be? I think they should be slightly ahead of where they are. And I think if they if the decision came, if there was a manager who they went, This is the this is the person, this is the one or two that we've got at the top of our wish list who have just become available for whatever reason, I think that you could get that person in, relieve Claude of his duties, and relieve him with a statement of saying Thank you very much. We think we're slightly behind where we should be. We're going in a different direction. And if you do have a statement like that, it actually does apply to the club. It's not a, a laughing stock statement. You know, if you are top of the league, for example, and you change your manager just because another manager suits the, is is the top of your list and you want him to be there, you can't turn around and say we're underperforming because you're top of the league. I still think you can actually put that at Leicester and say they're slightly behind of where they want in terms of progression, etc. You know, you bring he's done a, he's done a good job. I'm not an advocating that 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 Claude should go. What I'm saying is that I wouldn't be surprised if a change happens because I think the owners would want to be slightly ahead of where Leicester are currently right now. They're going to throw wobblies in every now and again. Exactly what we said last week. Exactly what I was referring to when comparing England to Leicester with having a very young side and with having a side that's going to perform brilliantly like they did against Spain and then perform averagely, which they have done in many games since the World Cup, for example. Leicester have done that. Um, that's that's what I'm saying. And and if it was up to me and, and, and one or two managers became available for whatever reason and they wanted the job, then then there we go. I wouldn't be adverse in changing that. I'm not saying it should happen. I'm just saying if it does, I'm not entirely surprised. But that's 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 Claude. I mean, we'll see what happens on Monday night where they play Arsenal, which of course we've not really had a tremendous record against in terms of away games. The game you remember at the start of last season when um, when we lost four three. <sighs> Starting off with Lacazette scoring after about five seconds, Vardy grabbing a brace and Okazaki scoring, actually. And, and it was all going very well until it went wrong at the end. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same scoreline this time around. Yeah, an absolute belter, wouldn't it? Start of last season. Um, and I'm just looking at the, the the Premier League table in front of me now. We're the highest scorers outside the top six with 14 goals. But Arsenal have shipped 10 goals in, in eight games, which when you bear in mind they've won six of those, that's that's floodgates time really. When you when you also look at the fact that they're only two point two points behind Liverpool, who've conceded seven fewer goals than them, it's um it is set up for a a bit of a hefty scoreline. Um but as you say, our record there and current form as well. It, I like seeing the little visuals of the win, lost and draw five five game form guide thing next to the table. It just shows how up and down we are at the minute. It goes loss, loss, win, win, loss for us. It's so difficult for Leicester to build up any kind of momentum that you can really get behind and subscribe to, whether you're a supporter 
um, or a player, whereas Arsenal's is five green W's in a row. They are looking all right under Unai Emery. Obviously, there's a bit of leakage at the back, but it would be very interesting to see what Monday night is like because the last away game was exactly what we wanted it to be in terms of clean sheet, in terms of game management for the most part. Um, but that that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, you look at the Newcastle and Arsenal are at completely opposite ends of the table playing for completely different um, targets this season. So Leicester have to go to Arsenal and just give it a go because they will score goals. A Leicester team that are confident and free-flowing and forward-moving will score goals against anybody. But with Arsenal having conceded that many goals already, it, it gives us a real chance. But they have to go and score first for me. If Leicester don't score first, it's game over whenever Arsenal score. Um, whether Arsenal score in the first couple of minutes and we bemoan Leicester's poor start again or whether Arsenal don't score till the hour mark. Uh, if Leicester don't get some kind of confidence-boosting goal, and it's not about their confidence overall, because ultimately, if you went down to the training ground every day, you'd see smiles, you'd see bouncing uh, players who are getting on really well and who have won four of their eight games in the Premier League and are doing all right. They've not got any reason to be downbeat, but I'm talking about those instant moments of confidence within games that change your attitude, change even your stance, just sort of bring your shoulders back a little bit and give you a little bit more of that James Madison strut. A goal, especially early on, sort of first 20, 25 minutes, would allow Leicester to play that game the way that they want to, I think. I think the longer they go without a goal, the more they're going to be worried, ah, we're going to concede a goal here. Uh, and I don't think for one second that this Leicester team at the moment is in a position to go anywhere and try and play for a point. We've got to go and try and win that game. Otherwise, uh, this this sounds like a ridiculous statement. We've got to go and try and win the game, otherwise we'll lose it. But do you know what I mean in terms of the mentality? Got to go out there and take the game to them. I, I agree. You've got, you got to go and, and go for the jugular task. Not else, if you give them the ball and stand off, they'll... they'll do what they can do and they were tremendous when they won away at Fulham recently whose defence is very leaky I, I think just go play the same way as we did last year but unfortunately obviously it didn't work out in the end and try and you know break a hood of, of winning at the Emirates winning at Arsenal it's not happened for for a long time and uh, I mean it should be a decent game obviously after the international break as well um, a lot of players all over the place and, and it's going to be live on the telly so yeah it should be should be an interesting game to watch uh, I think the, to, to finish off the podcast, the final final couple of things that I've I've got is uh, England. We'll just touch on England. I think Maguire and Chilwell were exceptional against Spain. They played well against Croatia, although it was a weird game, wasn't it? But it's almost like Chilwell suits playing England better than he does at Leicester. He, he seems he's a very confident person. He's got good control of the football. He, he's a he's a good player and. Um, and I think it's just a massive positive that he's playing for England. I can't see it being any harm at all. It would just give him more and more confidence and it would just be a massive help for him in his Leicester career. I think it's it's great news. And also, he played very, very well. It made me laugh when they're on about him replacing you know, Shaw and, and Rose. Well, Danny Rose has been in and out of injury for the last few years, in and out of games as well. He's, he's a decent player. And I'm sorry, but Luke Shaw, for me, still hasn't done it 
at all at Manchester United. They're on about giving him 160 grand a week contracts. Are you having a laugh? The 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 lad's got a lot of talent, but he needs to put it in for a good season at least. Um, I think at the moment Ben Chilwell is the first choice left back for England. Obviously Maguire is in uh, in centre of defence. It's a shame that you know Madison didn't uh, didn't get on the field, but never mind. Um, we'll that will happen at some point. And um, and the final point as well, really, is um, how <laughs> I don't you weren't there against Everton, but the new screens are in at the King Power. They are massive, absolutely massive to the point of. I sat. I got there really early, set up all the stuff for commentary, and I sat for about ten minutes looking at them, going, "They look almost too big. <laughs> they looked out of place." And then, obviously, when they were being used during the game and at halftime, they they were fine. But when you first see them, it's a bit like having, when you get a new TV; it just looks too big, and then you know you get used to it. But it, they look very odd, but they are very very good. Yeah, from what I've seen of the pictures, and obviously I saw the the sort of support network going in there when um, when England came to, to the King Power. So I, I realised that they were going to be pretty hefty. But you've got to remember, in, a couple of years ago, we never had any screens in the King Power anyway. it was uh, The owners decided to put these screens in. Everyone thought they were great. And everyone was like, whoa, big screens. And then after a couple of months, once the, the sort of excitement had died down, you actually realise that you can't see an awful lot on them screens if you are in the wrong place. So, especially if you're in the corner that the screen is in, so you've got to look diagonally across the pitch to try and look at the other screen. They don't offer an awful lot. And and I spoke to my parents are season ticket holders, uh, and all my mum wanted to talk about after the Everton game was the how much of a difference the screen... And she said they've improved the sound system. Did you notice anything with that, Pete? I know there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. Uh, um, a, a, an ex colleague of mine, actually, um, on my on my my normal job, he um, he's one of the producers behind the scenes of the new setup at the King Power, and I think we're going to see more and more. So there'll be more content. Um, they did change some of the sound. I think it was a bit all over the place uh, uh, where they were testing all the mics beforehand um, around about say you're talking half 12 ish and they were testing all the mics then and it was up and down so I think things are changing basically so give it a few games and then I think it will be all okay so it, it will be changing but it looks very good it's you know it's it's just a further further proof of you know investments into the club the one thing I'd say is that obviously with the ground expansion in my opinion and I am no arch- architect or builder I don't see how you can extend the ground at those ends of the stadiums uh, behind each goal. When you put that up, it looks to me that you can't... Now, I might be completely wrong. It might be the first time ever. This could be a Fox 8 podcast first, but I might be completely wrong about this. But um, I don't think that you can maybe just take them off as they are and then maybe expand the stand and then put them back on. I don't know whether that can happen or not. Maybe it can. In fact, it probably could, thinking about it. I've even changed my mind as I'm talking. Um, I just looked at them and went, OK, if we're going to expand the stand at the ground, it's going to be the east stand with another tier on. But maybe you can take them off. Maybe someone listening to this knows. Maybe someone listening to this knows someone who actually built them. And Because um, I think it was a, a, a city firm that actually did it. Um, if you do, get in contact at FFSpod or for Fox8podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. 
Um, maybe you can take them off and put them back on a, an expanded stand. I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, they are very, very impressive. And uh, hopefully they were impressive as our away performance at Arsenal on Monday. <laughs> 